As I was preparing for this message and studying different passages that spoke about compassion, one of the passages in the, the, the King James Version had these four words together in the sentence that really stood out to me. It used the words, shutteth up his bowels. That's kind of a, a strange language when you're looking, okay, well, how does that fit in a verse about compassion? And, and it, it had me thinking, it reminded me of one of the um, funniest conversations that I walked into that I wasn't so, supposed to really be part of. I sat down at a table in college and there is a group of girls discussing, what would you do if you were on the first date with a boy of your dreams and you had to use the restroom and the toilet clogged? And the horror on their faces of like, trying to figure out what they would do to deal with an issue like that. And maybe, okay, toilet clog is it's, it not, not right for Sunday morning experience. But when we think of, we'll go to a kitchen sink. We know, okay, kitchen sink, that's where things get cleaned off. But if that kitchen sink is plugged, if you've ever had that drain get stuck and the compactor won't run and it turns into a brown soup of grossness in your kitchen sink, you recognize this is not good. This is not healthy. All the rest of the life around the house is going to have to stop until this gets fixed because it's going to stink up the entire house. Like we understand that when there's a clog in the drain, things need to get fixed. If you have women with long hair in your house, you know if the shower drain gets clogged up, that turns into one of the grossest messes that you could ever imagine pulling out of a drain. And you're saying, okay, Paul, this is a little bit too, too vivid for a Sunday morning. I'm going to tell you, Isaiah 64 verse 6 is one of the most gross pictures that the scripture uses because it's trying to communicate an idea to us in a very memorable way. And that's why I'm starting here right now. Because as this passage talks about, which I'll get to in a minute, of why it says shutteth the bowels. Um, when, when we don't allow compassion and grace to flow through us, scripture has some of the most powerfully fear-inducing language that it could give us. Isaiah 64, 6, it, you know, it, it gives the, the picture of what our good deeds are. And it uses the illustration. It says, all of our best works are like filthy rags. But that's the rated G version of that. If you look at it in the original language, really what it says is all of our best deeds are like used menstrual rags. And it's trying to paint the picture that you need to understand who you are before God. That not your worst deeds, but your best, the best that you could do is like filthy, disgusting rags before him. And then we're gonna get into a couple passages today. We're gonna start with 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. We'll put this up on the screen. And I have the same passage from three different English translations here because I want you to see how differently they're translated so that we can get to really the heart of what's being said in the original language. If you go to the old school King James version, it, it very to us almost poetically old English says, but whoso hath his world's good and seeth his brother have need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Shutteth up his bowels of compassion. That's a different way to say it in our language. The New American Standard Bible, which is a very word-for-word -word literal translation, it says, but whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God remain in him? 
or in the NIV, which is a very common translation, it says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? And this passage, it's the same passage, three different translations. It's said very differently, but it's trying to drive at the point of if we see a need and we have the capacity to meet that need, but there's no stirring. And it's interesting because in the the top one, it, it uses the term, shutteth up his bowels of compassion. In generations past, rather than saying, my heart really hurt for you, they would say, my, my, my gut or my bowels were like really hurt for that person. And they try to put it more in, in the literal language here in NASB. It says, closes his heart against him. Or in the NIV, it says, no pity. And it's trying to drive at that. But I want to talk about some of the words that, that are actually in this passage. And first of all, this was an interesting thing as I was studying it. I was reminded of the word, what have or has. The, the word that's used for that in Greek is actually... We, we, we use the, the Greek word to mean something a little bit different. The Greek word for if you have what you need to meet a need in someone else, the word is echo. And that's, that was just kind of an interesting thing to me because we, we took that Greek word straight and we use it for something different other than have or possess. And the word was echo. And I mean, like, like you think like echo, 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 echo. And it's an interesting thing, the way that Greek is used in that to to describe the things that we have. It's like that echo. And when you think of the ways that scripture talks about the things that we possess, that, you know, our life is like a morning mist, that it's here one minute and gone the next. That we should not be storing up treasures for ourselves here on earth, but treasures in heaven where where moth and rust and cannot destroy and thief cannot steal. That, that when we possess something, when we have something, you should almost look at it with that mentality that it's like, a, it's an echo. It's like here one second and it's gone the next. That if you have something that you can meet the need of someone else, don't look and allow fear to creep in and say, well, I don't know if I can meet that need because then I won't have enough for myself later. Look, everything that we have is fleeting and passing. And God has entrusted certain things to you for a time being, he has given you stewardship over it to use it to bless other people. And if we, whether we use it or not, it's going to be gone one day. Why not use it in a way that will matter forever? And he says, when you see a need in someone else, there should be this spark that goes off inside of you, whether you say it's in my bowels or in my heart, there should be a spark that goes off inside of you. And the word that, that is used here, it's not the word for heart. It's not cardia. Uh, it's not the Greek word for that. It's actually the word, we derive the word spleen from this word. It's splanknen, where, where you feel from your gut. There should be a sense in you. Now listen, this is what I'm saying. There should be. There may not be right now. But there should be a sense in you that when you see a need in someone else, you should be like, oh, there's got to be a way that I could help. There should be this spark that goes off that says, I see the image of God across that person. That mom who needs shoes for her kids, I see the image of God on her. That homeless person who has made destructive decisions through their life and has led them to this point, I see the image of God on that person. That neighbor who drives through part of my property and ticks me off because it messes up my grass a little, like see the image of God on that person. And when there's a need there, there should be something in me that drives me to say, I want to help them because we have compassion. Now, compassion 
I don't believe is natural to us because we're just naturally more driven towards what we want for ourselves. But wherever the spirit of Christ is, I believe compassion wells up and spurs us into action. But if it's absent, then we need to begin to ask the question, why is compassion absent in my life? Why can I walk by other people's pain without even thinking about it? And so this is really the first place where we should see compassion have work in our life. Is Number one, compassion should change the way that we think. It should change the way that we think about other people. Because first of all, if any of us has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person is what scripture asks. How can you possibly say that you love God whom you have not seen if you don't love your brother whom you have seen? Time and time again, scripture re-asks this question in different language. That if you don't have compassion, if you don't think compassionately about other people, then how could you say that you have a passion for God? Scripture says that, that, that it's impossible. And, and we as the church, our reputation, unfortunately, across America has gotten more and more to the side of, does, the question is asked, does the church care about the poor? Does the church care about the hurting? Does the church care about the immigrant? And in this series, we're talking about the values of our church. We're talking about who we are and who we're going to be. And I want to, first of all, tell you, as clearly as we say Christ is the center, he is the center of our message. Our objective is to help people understand all that Christ did for them in his life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. That's the center of what we do. That we're gonna be creative in how we get that message out. We're also gonna be compassionate towards our city. We're gonna think compassionately about people who many people say deserve no compassion. Our world around us, we, we need to think about them maybe differently than we've been thinking about them because it's like, we want to see them do better. That's true. We want to see them think and act more like us. That's true. But the way that we get people to a healthier state of life, I'm gonna tell you, we've been using some of the wrong methods because so many, so many churches are known for shouting people down. And I don't believe that that's been us, but I'm gonna tell you, it's been widely known that that's kind of the way to fix things is to get angry and to get offended and to raise your voice. And I would just ask you, how beneficial has it been you in your decision-making process when somebody yelled at you, called you stupid or called you foolish? You're like, oh, I really am dumb. I should be just like you. We know that hasn't helped. I mean, even, even outside of the realm of philosophy and religion, when you think to people who are trying to help coach you up towards something, when you think of your coaches, if you have a coach and their default response is anger. I know that you feel a certain way about the coach when you finish up a game and, and the, you hear the coach talking to the team and it's like, you guys were a disgrace out there. That was terrible. You should be ashamed to even put on that jersey. You bring disgrace upon under five T-ball. You hear that and you're like, you're not helping those kids. You can't yell at them like that. You're not gonna get them to love what they're doing. You're not gonna get them to change what they're doing if that's how you speak to them. In the same way, if you had a coach that was like, I know there's more in you. I know you can run farther. I know you can do that better. I believe in you. You can do this. Get out there and give me your best. You've responded to those coaches before. 
And we have to be realistic that are we trying to just vent our opinion or do we actually feel compassion upon masses of people who are hurting, who are living their life in the wrong direction and we have something that can benefit them. We have a message of truth that can change their life, change their family, change their eternity, but we get stuck on methods of communication that that show how right we are and how wrong they are that we don't even care if the message is displayed. We care if our ego is communicated. And that is opposite of the way that Jesus did it. In fact, if you study the life of Jesus, he was harsh with people, but he was harsh with the religious people who thought they had it all together. And he was compassionate towards the woman who was literally caught in adultery. He was compassionate about people, crowds of people, that as he described it, he said, they are like sheep without a shepherd. They are just utterly lost. Tax collectors who stole money month after month, year after year for years and abused their power and authority. He would give these people grace. He would show them compassion. And if he is the example by which we live our life, then we have to figure out how to model that same compassion. We have to think about people differently. We have to think about them compassionately. One of the reasons, and that verse that I alluded to at the beginning, where it describes our best works as filthy rags, one of the reasons why we have so much compassion for our community is because we have to realistically look and say, Scripture says my best works are like filthy rags. Scripture says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So how could I ever think that I'm better than you? How could I look at you with judgment when apart from the grace of God, I would be a complete disaster as well? And so we look at our, com- our community when they're hurting, when they've messed up, we say, apart from the grace of God, I would be worse off. W- without the grace of Christ, I would have no connection to him whatsoever. And so I, I, I'm not angry at you. I'm not judging you, but I am telling you, this is what Jesus showed us. This is what he revealed to us. This is what he taught us. And as we seek to follow that, he is gonna strengthen your family. He is gonna change your life. He is gonna change your eternity if you will follow his teachings. And so the way that we think about people, we as a church, we're not thinking about them judgmentally. We're we're looking at our community and saying, apart from the grace of God, we would be just as messed. Apart from the grace of God, we would have no claim to a relationship with God. And so we think about them as if we're in the same situation as they are. Compassion doesn't just change what you think, but it also has to change how you feel about people. Compassion should change the way that we feel about people. I'm gonna give you context. I can't go into the, the, the full um, parable that Jesus taught, but Jesus was being asked questions about the most important commandment. And he says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the follow-up question came of, well, who is my neighbor? And to answer that question, um, actually, no, I'm skipping ahead. That, that's, that's the next part. Um, Peter was asking Jesus a question and he was asking about forgiveness. He was saying, when do I finally get to give up on the idiot in my life who has offended me? Is it seven times? And then I I could say goodbye to them. That's not exactly how he said it, but that's what he meant. He said, is it seven times? And Jesus said, no, it's seven times, 70 times. Peter was like, I don't have that many fingers and toes to count on. I can't count that high, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yes, that's the point. And Jesus didn't say it's seven times, 70 times. He, He told him a story to help him understand. And he said, Peter, there was a servant that owed his master thousands of gold pieces, more than he could pay off in his lifetime. 
And the master decided to call to, to account the, the, the debts that were owed. And so he called him in and he said, you have to pay up. And he said, I, I, I can't. And okay, you're going to get thrown into prison, you and your family, until your debt is paid off. And, and the, the servant begged, said, please, no, be patient with me and I will pay, I will pay it off to you. And the master heard the begging and he felt compassion on him and said, you know what? I will forgive you this unimaginable amount of money. It's wiped clean. And he couldn't believe it, but when he went there, it must have jogged his memory of like, hey, that one guy, that other servant owes me like a hundred bucks. And he went to that other servant. He went to one of his fellow servants and he grabbed him by the neck and he said, you give me the money you owe me. It's just a pretty small amount. And then the guy said, be patient on me and I'll, I'll pay you back. And he said, I have no patience for you. Had him thrown in jail. And the other servants who witnessed the first servant get forgiven an unimaginable amount. They went back to the master and told him what happened. And this is how the master responded in Matthew 18, verse 32. And the master called the servant in and said, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Verse 35, and keep this one up there for a minute. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I wanna let that passage hang up there for a minute. There's no other way to translate this passage. There's no other way to find and derive a different meaning except that God says, in the scope of what I've forgiven you, which is a lifetime of sin, who are you to hold a grievance against someone else? And this is challenging because some of you, and myself included, have been authentically and deeply hurt by someone in our life. There are difficult things that have happened. God says, you have to, in view of how I've forgiven you, you have to find a way to forgive. And listen to me, it's not, I don't even think it's primarily for the person that you forgive. I think it's primarily for you. You're supposed to be a source of compassion, of grace, of forgiveness to other people. But when something happens in your life that you refuse to forgive, you become like a clogged toilet or a clogged sink. Someone else's mess got into your life and it's messing with you and everything else is building up on top of it and it's creating a disastrous, gross situation for the other people like that, that are surrounding you in your life. And until you allow that to get out of your life, you're gonna have a mess on your hands. Because other people's issues are gonna come in and some of them aren't that big of a deal, but it reminds you of how you were once hurt. And so you have a huge explosive reaction and because you haven't forgiven and because you haven't let go, you begin to soil other relationships in your life. 
And more than the fact that it will mess up the current relationships you have if you don't deal with what's in your past, God says it will affect your relationship with him. See it clearly in scripture, church. That if you don't forgive your fellow person, God says it's gonna break your relationship with him. Jesus told that story because Peter was asking, when do I get to give up on forgiving? When, when, when am I allowed to hold a grudge? Jesus said, never. In case you think that that's just a one-off passage, go to um, Colossians chapter three, verse 13. This is the apostle Paul writing to the churches. And he says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. How did Christ forgive you? Completely. As far as the East is from the West, he wiped our sins away. And with that same measure, we are called to forgive others. Ephesians chapter four, verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Same compassion that Jesus felt for other people is supposed to flow through the church. We're not supposed to allow any, anyone else's mistakes to clog up that in our life or to stop that forgiveness and that compassion from flowing. And when you do a study on the word compassion through Jesus' life, I mean, you're, you're gonna go verse by verse where he's dealing with situ- Matthew chapter nine, verse 36. Jesus seeing the crowd like sheep without a shepherd felt compassion. He said, that is a crowd that they look stupid. I mean, he said it much nicer than that, but he said, they look like sheep who don't have a shepherd. They look like they've lost direction. They look like they don't know where to go for safety. If you've ever had to navigate a crowded subway or a crowded sports environment, and you're like, some of the people here just make me angry and I'm not even talking to them. Jesus looked on that crowd and rather than feeling anger, he felt compassion and and. In Matthew 14, verse 14, he saw the crowd again and he felt compassion. Compassion was what in 1532 of Matthew led to him feeding 5,000 people and performing one of the most beautiful miracles. And it says that he did it because Jesus saw them and felt compassion. In Matthew 20, verse 34, when Jesus saw blind men and they were calling out to him, he felt compassion and he acted. In Luke 7, 13, he saw a mother weeping at a funeral procession for her child and he felt compassion and rose the child up. In the story of the prodigal son, where he's describing a son who squandered resources, dishonored his family, committed all kinds of sexual perversion, waste, and and eventually realized that he needed to return home just as a servant because he didn't deserve to be a part of the family anymore. He describes the father's reaction to that son, that when he saw him, he had compassion and ran to him. Jesus time and time from his ministry, from his parables, he was teaching that my followers should have compassion for the broken. Not just think it, but they should feel it in a way that when they see the opportunity, there's a spark that goes off inside of them. Whether you say it's going off inside their bowels, their heart, their mind, it's a spark. It's a thing that is felt that drives them to act. So why Aren't Christ's followers better known for being a place of compassion? 
I can't speak for other churches, but I can speak for Gulfside that we're gonna continue to teach and we're gonna continue to act in a way that we are vessels of compassion to the world that is around us. And it's not just in the lofty spiritual things, it's gotta be in the absolute practical things. The absolute down to earth things that I see someone who needs help. And so I stop and help. I see someone who, who needs food and I stop and I get them food, not because they deserve it, because so many of some people have dug themselves into their own hole. It's not even for us to judge whether they're worthy of the help or compassion or not, because here's what we see. We see the image of God written across people. And so we say they are worthy of help because the image of God is on them. And whenever I do anything for, for the least of these, it's as if I did it for Jesus himself. So compassion, it, it moves through us. Number three, compassion sees the spiritual side of doing natural things. Jesus tried to um, it, teach this concept and he was answering that question as I mistakenly alluded to before, where he's being asked, what's the greatest commandment? You know, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he got the follow-up question of, well, who's my neighbor? And, that, and then he told the story. That's the context in which he tells the Good Samaritan story, which you're probably familiar with. And you can put this up on the screen as I read it. Jesus replied and said, he's answering the question, who's my neighbor? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he encountered robbers and they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. And by coincidence, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place, he saw him and he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. He put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed compassion to him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Now, as you go back through this passage, the first person who came upon this man who was beaten half to death was a priest. Now a priest, that was the person who got to go into some of the inner places of worship. And these were places that it's like when you got to go inside of this curtain and step in and you're just another step closer to the presence of God than most people in that time got to be. It's like going in those rooms would just give you goosebumps. His knowledge of scripture, his knowledge of Deuteronomy 22, where it actually forbids you to walk past a fellow Israelite who was wounded. It actually forbids you from doing that. He would have ignored that because maybe he had things to do. And if he was unclean, he couldn't perform his rituals that, that were part of the sanctuary. And so he avoided him. The person who knew the most about God, the person who, quote, served God the most, saw someone in need and walked past him. The next person, a Levite, this was someone who, who this was the, the priestly tribe of Israel. He would have been raised up knowing scriptures, knowing that he serves the community. He would have been expected to do something. But once again, even though he's one of the leaders amongst Israel as a Levite, he walks by on the other side of the road. And then the last one, the Samaritan. Now, if you don't know too much about the history of the nation of Israel, 
Part of the nation of Israel was conquered and, and brought out into captivity. And though it was forbidden in their scriptures and they knew they weren't supposed to intermarry with other cultures and bring in other gods, the Samaritans did. They, they took wives and husbands from other cultures. And when they came back to Israel, eventually the other half of the kingdom described them as half breeds, half dogs is what they would say to them. And, and they, they brought in so, some, some weird theological beliefs back into their worship as they came back in with their blended families. And so the majority of Israel hated the Samaritans. You'll notice in the passage when Jesus, Jesus asks who was a neighbor to him, the, the, the teacher that he was speaking with couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He said the one that showed compassion. Because there's so much animosity towards the Samaritans at this time. And so then you get to the Samaritan who is the unlikely hero. It's why th this parable is so potent to them. It's the unlikely hero of the story. And he gives not just his time, he gives his money, he gives his energy. And he gives his thoughts because he says, I'll even come back the next day to see what else he needs and, and pay you whatever else you have to do. And Jesus doesn't just say, and you need to understand, you need to do that kind of thing. He says, go and do that kind of thing. Don't just think it, but the practical, find the places where you can go and do something for other people. And band, I'm gonna begin to wrap this up if you guys wanna make your way up here. And, and church, I'm so proud of you. This last, just yesterday, 35 people from our church were, were at Thrive, which is a home for women in crisis who have children. They teach them uh, how to have a career, how to raise their kids and, and how to help their kids grow up. It's an awesome ministry that exists here in Cape Coral. It's a, and they, they needed some things done. We had people serving. Whatever they did for those people is as if they did it to Jesus himself. Uh, I'm proud of the way that we had people at the art festival just recently, praying for people, sharing about the church. The, these are actually the prayer cards that our, our prayer team has prayed for that people have filled out from needs of my family has cancer, would you pray for us? That, that we have family difficulties that are going on, that I have a child who doesn't know the Lord, would you pray that they come to know him? Um, the, these are all from those and, and we're praying for those people and continuing to lift that up. Uh, I'm proud of the ways that over the years, you guys have shown compassion to our city, but that, that can't ever be something that we did, but it always has to be something that we continue to do. That when we talk about the values of the church, that it's not just about the people who are here, but we have to be compassionate to, to the city at large. Because I want to tell you, some of the things about our city, uh, in the 2023 mental health report that went out, it, it, it reported 21% of our community reports having some sort of mental illness, like depression um, or anxiety. 15% of our community has self-reported saying, I have a substance abuse problem. 11% of our community has struggled through thoughts of suicide in this last year. 16% of our youth self-report that they have had serious episodes of depression within the last 12 months. And another study said that men report a near 40% rate of being alone or not having any meaningful friendships in their life. Our community doesn't need us to kick them and beat them down. The world is already doing that to them. But they need compassion to flow from us to them. There's a young man named Christopher Searcy. When he was 15 years old, he was playing basketball in an alley about a block away behind Ravenwood Hospital. 
Uh, while they were playing, there, there was a gang fight that happened nearby and one of the bullets hit Christopher in the stomach. His teenage friend began pulling him to the hospital. And he pulled him as far as he could, just within sight of the front door of the hospital, 35 feet away from the entryway. And his friend went running in saying, my friend Christopher has been shot, I need, I need help, I can't get him in. And when he came in asking for help, the hospital staff told him, it's against our policy to treat anyone who is outside of our building. We can't give you a wheelchair, we can't do anything until you get him into our doors. And he said, I, I've tried, I can't get him any farther, I need help. And he's screaming and asking for help and they just said, well, this is our policy, we can't do anything until he's through our doorway. 15 year old, bleeding out 35 feet away from the door. Eventually a police officer overheard, went and took one of the wheelchairs from the hospital staff, went and got the boy, got him inside. But unfortunately, it was too late. Within an hour, he passed away. Because it's policy. The director of the hospital might have set the policy, but I'll tell you, one of our judges didn't agree with their decision. More important than that, that kind of policy, when we stand before the one righteous judge, when we stand before our heavenly father and we say, well, the people in our community, they never came through the doors of our church. Our heavenly father is gonna be say, you weren't supposed to have a policy that you wait for them to come to you. You go to them with compassion. You go to them with help. You go to them with the message. You don't just wait for them to get to the doors of the church. So when we talk about the values of the church that we are and that we're gonna be, we're gonna be a church that is compassionate in tone, compassionate in heart, compassionate in thought, and compassionate in action. And maybe as I've spoke today, God has brought some things to your heart. Maybe you need to just have a moment of repentance where you, you have looked at people with a hard heart and you need to get that fixed inside of you. Maybe there's a person that you know you've been withholding forgiveness from that you need to forgive. Or maybe you just need to recognize, I, you, we have to open our eyes to the world that's around us, that they need the compassion and the message of Jesus Christ. And we are that source to them. We go to them. But as we sing this last song, our prayer team will be available. If there's something going on and you, you know that you need prayer or you need support, we're here to help. Because that same compassion that we have for them, we have for you as well. And as we allow this, this love of Christ to flow through the church, we're gonna continue to see God do great things. Let's pray. Uh, Father, would you continue to just direct our hearts and our minds. As we see people who are hurting in our community, rather than just asking questions of whose fault it is, will, will you just show us the ways that we can be a source of love and hope for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for the strangers on the street? with the love of Christ flow through this church. And as we need to repent and make changes and change directions in the way that we've been living, give us courage to take those steps so that we can honor you in the way that we live our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we worship?